Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Luck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Luck, and this week is another How I Got Here version of the podcast with Nick Terry, who is a chaplain for Motor Racing Outreach. For those who don't know, Motor Racing Outreach is essentially the mobile ministry of racing where they set up in the infield in the motorhome lot with the drivers, and they go from place to place. They run the chapel services. They help the kids during the day provide all sorts of services for the families who are traveling on the road. And Nick Terry is a massive part of that, confidant to many drivers. But he has a very interesting story himself that I've learned over the last couple of years, talking to him off to the side of driver's meetings while waiting for them to start. He's usually in there waiting to give the prayer after the driver's meeting's over and do a chapel service. So I've gotten to know him a little bit and just thought he'd be a really great person for the How I Got Here series. So take a listen and let's see if you agree. All right, everybody, I'm here with Nick Terry, chaplain for Motor Racing Outreach. Nick, thanks for joining me. I'm really excited that you agreed to do this. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. I'm really excited about it. Um, Yeah, actually, when I think I talked to you about this in Daytona, you were one of the first people I thought of when I started this, doing this series, because I I thought, from just from the little I know of you, you have a really interesting backstory. So, first of all, before we get into um, your, your whole journey through the sport, can you tell us a little bit about uh, like what you do now for MRO? Sure, yeah. So uh, I'm one of the chaplains for Motor Racing Outreach. Uh, MRO is uh, in its 30th season, uh, being out here with the NASCAR community. And so um, I serve as chaplain uh, over the course of uh, 24 weekends for my schedule. Uh, Billy, who's uh, one of the other folks from MRO, does the other 14. Uh, so one of us is always out here. Uh, but yeah, I serve as chaplain uh, out here through the whole entire race weekend for those weekends that I'm covering out here. Wow. So that's a lot of time on the road and a lot of time involved with the NASCAR community. And of course, you yourself were involved with the NASCAR community before you came into this role. But how, how did it all start for you? Like, were you interested in NASCAR growing up? No. So actually, I was not. Uh, I had never uh, even been to a race or been around racing in any capacity. Um, so I graduated high school in 1997, and I went to high school with, uh, with Shane Meal, uh-huh. um, who was into racing, and uh, I, I knew Shane from school, and uh, so in 1999, I decided to go and watch him race one weekend at Caraway Speedway in Ashboro, and I went and watched him race, and as soon as I got there and I saw what was happening, I was like... My first response was like, how have I never experienced this? Like, this is awesome. You know, like cars racing, people yelling at the cars, like people are into it and there's just so much happening. And I couldn't believe I'd lived my whole life uh, never experiencing racing in any capacity. And so I fell in love with it uh, that night and uh, immediately was hooked and uh, was kind of in a, a season of life where I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go. Um, so, so with that, that newfound passion for racing, uh, that kind of planted something in my heart for something that I, I felt like I wanted to do, you know, wow. further on from there. What was going to be your path if you had never gone that night? Like, That's what? a good question. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> That's what I was trying to answer, you know, in that season of life yeah. myself. So once you got into it, like, how did you actually break into doing it for a career? Yeah, so so I didn't know anybody in, in the racing community at all, other than just going to school with Shane. I wow. knew absolutely nobody. 
Um, so I enrolled at Forsyth Tech Community College in Winston-Salem uh, and took their race car technology program. Uh, Bill Wilder was the instructor of that program, and he raced, he's raced modified cars for, for years. I mean, he's just raced them for a long time. And, um, and so I enrolled in school there um, and uh, really just, you know, just, just went in with just, a, you know, just gave it all, everything I had. Wanted to learn and soak up as much as I could. And uh, and so graduated uh, from there, uh, just you know, with, with and just did, you know was very successful. Graduated at the top of, of my class, and um, and so I, I did that, and I also helped Bill with his race cars uh, after school and in the evenings, and then I went with him to the racetrack on the weekends. So that was kind of the foundation um, that that kind of gave me some, uh, you know, some I don't know, I guess some some skills to kind of get started if you will so prior to that point though and enrolling you didn't have any technical knowledge or none. anything like i mean just none at all it's a completely learning on the go hands-on kind of thing i mean yeah um that had to be pretty i mean because i'm i'm still right now somebody that doesn't have any really car knowledge i mean despite yes. being around this and that had to be difficult, I think, too. Yeah, I picked that up. It was challenging. Yeah. Um, and to this day, race cars are much easier for me to work on than street cars. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So how yeah. did it evolve uh, from there? Yeah. What was your so, next step? so I played um, stick and ball sports uh, as a kid, and so uh, the pit crew stuff always fascinated me. Um, one piece of the puzzle I don't want to leave out before I move on to that is um, while I was in school, um, after I'd helped Bill, um, I also got a, a part-time job for a small race team called Taylor Motorsports. Okay. Um, and out of that team, uh, Clay Campbell, the president of Martinsville Speedway, uh, raced limited late model. And so I actually ended up crew chiefing his limited late model car. No way. Uh, yeah, and we won the championship that year. And so I'd go to school during the day. Um, and then worked a part-time job somewhere else, and then worked a part-time job taking care of his race car, uh, setting it up, uh, bringing it to the racetrack every week, and then spotting for him. And so uh, that was, you know, a definitely an important piece uh, to, to to my story for sure. Wow! So you're in college and yep. you're chiefing for the president of Martinsville Speedway. That's correct. Car. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, we had some good times. I remember one time he flew in on a helicopter. And I'm like, you know, to the race at Caraway. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, you know, who am I to be living this, you know, this experience? So once you got done with school, um, obviously there's, you know, a lot of race teams, a lot of different options probably. What what was, how, how did you go from there? Yeah, so uh, Bill Wilder got, uh, got me an interview set up at RCR. Um, and uh, Bobby Hutchins was the one who interviewed me. Wow. And uh, didn't have a lot of... Uh, opportunities really for entry level at that time Um, but one of the opportunities they had was to uh, drive the pit practice car and to glue the lug nuts and to set up the wheels and (laughs) tires for the pit crews and uh, so they offered that to me and I said absolutely I'll take it Um, and so I took that job and then on the on the weekends uh, I was pitting for uh, Toby Robertson uh, who is T. Wayne Robertson's son. Okay. Um, and so I pitted for him in the Hooters Pro Cup Series, and so I drive to those races on Saturday nights um, as a jackman, and then I'd come back to RCR on Monday, uh, get the pit practice stuff ready, set up for the teams, and the whole time I'm driving the car into to these, you know, these world-class pit crews, 
Um, and I'm just watching everything they do, watching everything the Jackman does from out the, the side windows as I sit in the car, uh, picking up bits and pieces about um, things that I thought that different ones did well, trying to create my own style. Um, and then at the end of the day, I'd stay after work, and I would just practice myself uh, on the car. By yourself? By myself. Wow. Yeah. So, like, the car would be sitting there that you had just driven, and you'd just take the jack and just yeah. go around the side, run around, and Yeah, I just like practice, like, it. my run arounds yeah. and, and pulls, pulling the tires off and, and things like that. Wow. So how long from when you started doing that to when you actually started getting an opportunity as a jack man um, on the NASCAR side? Yeah, so I got hired there in 2002, um, and then in 2003... Uh, one of the guys for the uh, Xfinity Series or Bush Series at the time uh, was not there for practice that day. And so I just kind of raised my hand and said, hey, I can do this. I can fill in. And hmm. uh, they were, David Smith was the pit coach uh, who was on Dale Earnhardt's team for a long time. And uh, finally I talked him into letting me practice with the team, and they let me go. And I could see it was kind of the you know eyebrow raised, like, wow, he really he can do it. <laughs> um, and so, you know, at the time it was a 14-second pit stop, which, you know, felt really fast for me at the time. Um, but so I got to fill in for practice, and then he actually missed a race for a wedding, and so I filled in for him um, and ended up uh, getting a full-time spot uh, on one of the um, Xfinity teams uh, for 2003 and also for 2004. Who was the driver that you were doing back then? Yes, yeah, so uh, 2003 was uh, Ron Hornaday. Okay. In the uh, in the AC Delco car. Wow. Um, and 2004 uh, was a split ride with Harvick and uh, I believe it was Johnny Sauter. Okay. Yeah. So it was it just a matter of uh, at that point once you have your foot in the door, sort of like proving yourself and showing people that you can do it. It was, yeah, it was. It was just getting. Um, it's just all about timing. Really, it's just all about timing, and, and you can't even control it. Just being at the right place at the right time, um, and when the opportunity came, uh, being ready. And, you know, I, I also got that uh, opportunity in, in, you know, leading into the Cup Series, and so just taking advantage of, of the opportunity you get. So um, was was Harvick the only driver you ever worked for on the on the Cup side? Uh, things? Nope. Uh, I worked for, for Harvick uh, most of the time there, mm-hmm. um, but also pitted uh, Clint Boyer okay. um, a, a couple years, and uh, and also Casey Mears uh, when wow. he drove the 07. So then, so you, you've, uh, you're, you're going along, your career, you know, as a jackman's going smoothly, you're, you've made it to Cup, you're successful. Um, how, first of all, how long total, I guess, did you, were, were you a jackman on the, on the Cup side? Yes, yeah, so um, I think it was in 03, and, you know, race fans will remember this, but um, one of the, the races at Richmond, um, Harvick got into it with, uh, into an altercation with Ricky Rudd, and there were some crew guys uh, suspended the next week. And, uh, and so I got to fill in as a fill-in for the cup guys. Okay. Um, and so uh, that went really well. I uh, filled in at Loudoun, New Hampshire, and we were pitted between the 18 and the 24 that day, and I just thought it was so cool. <laughs> um, but the pit stops went well, and um, so that kind of created some, some fill-in opportunities for me. Um, and then in 2005 um, is when I got the position full-time. Uh, on the 29 for for Harvick, and so I pitted full time in the Cup Series uh, from 2005 to 2000, end of 2011. 
Okay. So um, at the end of 2011, I assume that's when you start making this transition to the opportunity you have now. So how can how can you explain how you go from pit crew member to chaplain? I mean, that's yeah. th- that's got to be a very unique transition, I imagine. What was going on in your life then, and how did that thought process come to be? Yeah, so it actually happened a, a long time before 2011. Okay. Um, in 2007, uh, we won the Daytona 500, um, and uh, there's just you know just an incredible uh, weekend and just such a special moment. Um, and it was really after that that, um, even as special as it was, um, you know, I began to uh, have new passion for other things, um, and uh, really that passion was uh, not so much for the victories or the success within the sport, um, but I'd really fallen in love with the people in the sport Hmm. um, more than anything. And, you know, as a pit crew guy, you always know that that day will come eventually. Like, hey, what am I going to do next? I'm getting older and slower and everybody else is getting younger and faster. What am I going to do next? And so the thing that I was really passionate about for me uh, was ministry. Uh, I wanted to be in ministry full time. And uh, that's what my heart was really most passionate about. Um, and so it was, you know, I spent the last three years of, of my over-the-wall career preparing for that transition. Wow. Um, preparing financially. Um, I went to Liberty University uh, online mm-hmm. uh, to get the degree that I felt like I needed to do that. Um, and even within that, I didn't uh, plan for it to be with, with MRO. Okay. Um, but MRO had been very close to to me through, you know, through the years, they had um, been my church, if you will, because I spent 38 weekends on the road. Um, and so I loved what they did, uh, loved who they were. Um, and so uh, as I was kind of pursuing what was next for me, they were in a season where uh, they were looking for somebody. And so it just kind of came up. I think the first time it ever came up, it was kind of like just kind of in a joking way. Hey, maybe I could do this. And they were like, yeah, maybe you could do this. And I don't know that either of us thought maybe that it was actually a reality. Wow. Um, because he'd never had a, a chaplain who could do a 11 second pit stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They only had guys who had been pastors for 20 some years. Right. So it was a completely different road for them and for me, you know, both of us. Um, but uh, but, yeah, that's kind of how that all, you know, started to shake out. So, but how did you come to the conclusion, I guess, because um, I, I feel like making a change like that has got to be really tough and has has to have a lot of, um, you know, you really have to trust your gut that you feel called towards a certain direction because, you know, a lot of people, even even though you said, you know, eventually you have to think about what, what comes next, it's like, man, that's a, that's a big change. It's a leap. You know, I'm sure the money situation, it's a big drop off probably. Um, so, you know, you, you had to prepare with your family and everything. Um, so how, how did you know that that's what you wanted to do after, after it was all done? Yeah. So, um, for me, I I did know, um, and, and the one specific moment, uh, would have been, um, actually flying home from the race, uh, after winning the 500. Um, I remember it was the, um, the greatest feeling in the world, like after winning that race, it felt so good because I'd gone from guy who knew nobody in racing to standing in victory lane 
in, in Daytona, pushing the car into the museum on Monday. Wow. Um, and, you know, uh, flying home that Monday, I just remember, um, and, and, you know, with, you know, with uh, my faith, I was uh, praying and just, um, I just felt like in my, in my, my prayer time that uh, as I was praying, I was just thinking, God, this is the, the greatest feeling in the world. Um, and this must be what, what heaven feels like. Um, and it was as if God whispered in my ear, not even close to what I've prepared for you. Um, and so that became the moment for me where I'm like, I think I'm going to stop pursuing the racing and pursue the people mm-hmm. um, and help people grow in their faith, um, help people to grow, um, you know, uh, just to help people grow closer uh, in their walk with God. Um, but particularly these people here that I've fallen in love with the last 10 years of my life before doing that um, and to help them with the culture the challenges uh, that they face. I mean, it's tough to travel out here for 38 weeks a year. It's tough on families. It's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, there's a lot uh, on the line. There's a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Um, and I felt like the 10 years that I spent um, out here doing that was just in preparation, you know, for, for this role. Um, so I did know, and once I knew, I was completely, you know, committed to, to that that process of what was next. But it was uncomfortable. I mean, I remember the first time I walked in the garage uh, as a chaplain. I was like, this isn't, this feels weird. Yeah. <laughs> I've been coming here for 10 years, not in this role. So this one feels really odd. Wow. So it, I, it sounds like what you're saying is like, you sort of got to the top of the mountain after this long climb or what you thought was the top and then you just realized wait there's so much more for me so after you make that transition um did you find that it was as fulfilling as you hoped right away like is it is has this been what you want it to be has it surpassed your expectations yeah this is definitely i 100 percent feel this is what i'm supposed to be doing um, and that doesn't mean it's always easy. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's tough, um, you know, because people come here to race. Um, you know, they don't always come for you know what you know for what MRO is doing. Um, but yet, when they need us, um, we're here. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we do. We're just here for people um, as they need us, um, and as we can serve them and care for them in any any capacity they need. How much did you have to do? Because obviously you had relationships in the garage. How much did you have to do as far as meeting new people? Like when you're going around to these drivers and their families, I mean, was it, did you know a lot of them already? And it, 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 so it was sort of like, you know, it's easy for you guys to trust me. Or did you, was it, you know, starting relationships all over sort of? It was a combination of, yeah, it was a combination of. I mean, I had to, you know, I, I still uh, am you know, meeting new people out here every day. Um, and I certainly did have to meet a lot of new people. Um, I would say there's a lot of people that still don't know my story, hmm. um, that just know me as MRO chaplain and, you know, probably don't even know that racing ever existed in my life. Wow. Um, but a lot of them do. Um, and so, um, you know, the, uh, the it was a combination, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. There's, there's both. Um, but, you know, I... I I look back and, um, you know, while I didn't do it all perfect um, as a crew guy, um, you know, I'm thankful that 
um, you know, that, that, some, that you know, I, I tried to live my life even then that would be worthy of the calling that I have now. Mm-hmm. Um, not perfect. Um, I certainly know what it feels like to lose it at Darlington on a frustrating night. Um, but I think that goes a long way with people. Right. Um, because I'm like, hey, I know what it feels like. I know how difficult it is to control emotion. It's an emotional sport, and I haven't always controlled mine. So I'm certainly not telling you to do something that I've, you know, felt the difficulty in trying to do, you know, just as well as yourself. So, um, you know, I've always tried to be honest with people that, you know, give me the opportunity to speak into their lives out here and uh, hopefully be relatable. Wow, that's really cool. Well, I want to close with um, asking you if somebody's uh, listening to this or reading this, they're like, wow, that that is just a really cool thing. You know, I, I have a deep faith. I, I would love to help people the way that, that you have, Nick. Um, you know, how would you recommend people get started on, on that path? Yeah, so we, um, we actually have uh, an umbrella of MRO chaplains um, around the country oh, okay. um, who are serving at, um, at local short tracks. Wow. Um, and so they do it. Uh, under our training, uh, it's called the uh, MROA, the association, um, and so we have different chaplains serving around the country. Most of them work, um, you know, full-time jobs during the week and go and do that um, on the weekends at wherever their local track is. And so um, that's primarily one of the ways that that people um, are able to kind of do uh, what we do on a on a different level, um, and so we, you know, in the in the race community out here with the, you know, with these three series trucks and Xfinity and Cup, there are people scattered all over the country, and a lot of times we utilize those folks. Wow. Um, and you know, the the crossover is, um, you know, it's a pretty tight knit family. You, you you know, it's a it's a small world really. Uh, when it comes to racing, whether it be somebody at a dirt track up here, well, they know somebody in this community and vice versa. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's always there, there's always opportunity. Cool. Well, Nick, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really, really cool to hear that. So appreciate all your time. Sure, yep. Thank you. And keep up the good work, man. I love what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yep. All right, everybody. So there you have it. Really cool guy. Appreciate him taking the time to do that on a race weekend where he has a lot of responsibilities and duties. Before I go today, I'd like to give some patron shout-outs. These are people on Patreon.com who pledge $10 or more per month. Patreon is how I make a living and get to the races, so I appreciate all of you. And this week, I'd like to thank Amy Scott, Alex Crum, and Shane Christofferson. Thank you so much for being patrons and supporting both the podcast and the website. This week, I'm going to Kansas Speedway, where I will be getting more interviews and also recording a podcast after the race with a media member who is yet to be determined. So that podcast will post sometime late Saturday night. The race, uh, I think, starts at 8 p.m. Eastern Time Saturday night. So it's going to be a late one, but I will have the podcast posted before I leave. So in case you wake up Sunday morning or Monday and want to hear it, it will be there. So that's all for now. Thanks, as always, for listening. Talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.